Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This great promise from God has been extended to anyone, to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And the question remains, have you confessed and believed in Jesus? For those who have done this, there is no shame for those who confess and believe in Jesus. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today, I would like to look at these verses that make up this road in a message that I titled, The Roman's Road to Salvation, the points of this message. Be not ashamed. Romans 1, 16, and 17. All of sin, Romans 3, 23. The wages of sin and the gift of God, Romans 6, 23. The demonstration of God, Romans 5, 8. Our declaration unto salvation, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And the promise of God, verse 13. Mile marker number three. The wages of sin and the gift of God, Romans 623. Now, if you wanted to take some time to go online today and look up the Romans Road to Salvation, make sure you're connecting it to the Bible. You might end up somewhere in Rome uh, looking and reading about some landmarks that are currently there or from the past. But if you want to look it up, usually what I have is mile marker number three. Usually this is divided into two points. And it is two separate points. I put them together because it's all contained in one verse. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here in Romans chapter 6, we find that the Apostle Paul summarized the subject in vivid contrast of our salvation. We find in chapter 6 that there are two masters in this world, either sin or God. There are two methods. It's the wages that equals death or the free gift that comes from God and two results of this, death or eternal life. When I went into chapter 6, when we taught this earlier this year, I went on to see a number of great contrasts between unbelievers and believers. And I, I list them out like this. Unbelievers, 
versus believers, and I'll read it point by point, going from the unbelievers to the believers. Unbelievers, they are slaves of sin. Believers, they are slaves of God. Unbelievers, they obey the lust of sin. Believers are freed from sin. Unbelievers, they become instruments of unrighteousness, while believers become instruments of righteousness. Unbelievers, it's sin leading to death, and believers, it is righteousness leading to more righteousness. Unbelievers, we find uncleanness, and believers, we find cleanness. Unbelievers, there is lawlessness. Believers are law-abiding. Unbelievers are shame, and believers have fruit to holiness. Unbelievers have death, and believers have everlasting life. The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they, along with all of creation, were subjected to futility and the bondage of corruption, according to Genesis 3.13. By eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their sin set the stage for today's present sufferings. The Bible tells us that sin produced death in Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Sin produced death, past tense. But also the Bible tells us that sin produces death, present tense. In James 1, verses 14 and 15, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin produced death. In times past, sin produces death currently in this present age. I follow Franklin Graham on my Instagram page. And one day he posted something that his dad said way back in 1954. This is from the late Billy Graham. If I could sound like Billy... I would talk like him, but I can't, so I'll just read it for you. The Bible says, By great faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You cannot save yourself. There is not enough goodness that you can do to save yourself, because you're guilty of breaking the law of God. There is only one thing that can be done. And that is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't die by accident. He died by design. It was planned by God for your redemption and your salvation. In this life, there are only two paths, wages unto death or the gift of God unto salvation. Well, that brings us to mile marker number four, the demonstration of God, Romans 5.8. But I'm going to back up. So technically, the Romans road, the verse is Romans 
5.8, that's what I've given you. I'm going to back up to verse 7 to give us a little context here. For scarcely, for a righteous man, one will die, yet perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. For someone to sacrifice their life for another, it's not unheard of. A husband or a wife might be willing to die to save their loved one. A parent might sacrifice their life to save a child. Rarer still are those cases where a stranger will die for another. But this is still not unheard of. On the attacks of 9-11, the director of Morgan Stanley, Richard Riscola, he had been a stickler for his building safety, and he held twice-a-year evacuation drills for the people. When the 9-11 attacks happened, he put his plan into action and calmly instructed the people to leave right up until the moment he was killed. People have credited him to perhaps saving the lives of some 2,500 people that day while risking his own life. In fact, his own life being taken. And no doubt, if you're going to die for someone, it would be easier to die for a loved one or for a righteous, a good person. But this was not the case for God. The Bible tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates. It's a Greek word that it's a word that means to prove or to exhibit He put it on display for all to see that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was interested in this phrase of this verse and sometimes reading different translations of the different Bibles helps us to get a greater understanding. The New King James, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Holman Christian Standard Bible It says that God proves his own love toward us. I only put down the the letters here, the C-E-V, and I can't think of that for a moment, what it is, but it tells us that God showed how much love he has for us. The Amplified Bible says God shows and clearly proves his own love for us. The basic English Bible says, But God has made clear his love to us. Jesus did not die for righteous or for good people, but he died, according to the word of God, for sinners like you and me. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In 1 John 4, verses 10 and 11, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. A fancy word to mean a covering for our sins. And this great demonstration of God's love is seen through Jesus's work on the cross. So we come to mile marker number five. We discover the necessity of our declaration unto salvation. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Now, Paul is not giving us a formula of faith that must be followed in precise order. He's simply telling us that both confession and belief are part of the process of salvation. No doubt there have been those who have confessed Jesus and then at some later point in their life, they actually truly believed in Jesus. But there was a confession first and then faith followed. And on the other hand, there could be those who have faith in Jesus, but they have never confessed their faith to others. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. This Greek word for confess, it means to agree with or to speak the same language. It has a meaning to join in the same confession of faith that all other believers must also confess. You are to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, a confession made unto salvation. We're to confess that Jesus is Lord. In Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But he who denies me before men, him I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We are to confess. It's through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his work, and that he has provided everything necessary for our salvation to cover us for our sins. All we need to do is confess and believe. You have to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. This Greek word of belief, it means faith to be persuaded of or to place a confidence in. In 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, Peter wrote, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. Confession without belief are merely words without power. On the other hand, belief without confession is like having faith without a living testimony of the power of God to change lives. He said in verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so confession and belief in Jesus are two necessary elements of our salvation. Well, we finally made it to mile marker number six, the promise of God, Romans 10, 13. Again, I'm just explaining to you technically the Romans road. That's the verse you want. I'm going to back up to verse 11 for us, though. It says in verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. This is actually a quote from Isaiah 28, 16. It teaches of God becoming a sanctuary to those who hollow and fear his name. Yet for those who reject him, he becomes a stone of stumbling. And why do they stumble? Because they've been disobedient to the word of God. Isaiah 28, 16, it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. 
Whoever believes will not act hastily. Whether Jew or Gentile, we have all been appointed to obey the word of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet for those who reject Jesus, he becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to them. This verse from Isaiah 28 quoted again in the New Testament by Peter in 1 Peter 2.6. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Well, my past trade as a brick mason has had me think a lot about the meaning of a cornerstone. The chief cornerstone in biblical times was a very large and carefully crafted stone that was set at a corner of a building from which the whole structure was determined and squared. And Jesus is this living stone who has first been rejected by Israel. And he has now become that chief cornerstone upon all who confess and believe, whether Jew or Gentile. God laid the chief cornerstone by electing that his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, would die upon the cross for the sins of the world. This term for being the elect of God, it is a a word that means to gather or to pick out. Jesus has become more precious to God or held in higher esteem by God because of his work upon the cross. Since Jesus is precious to God, He should also be precious to us. There's no shame for those who put their trust in God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. In verse 12, he says, there's no distinction between Jew or Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. There's no distinction. It's a Greek word that refers to a a mark or clearly defined mark, like a, a notch in a belt. Uh, For most of us, the guys especially who, well, the older guys, I don't know if younger guys wear belts as much as they used to. I know there's a generation of my son's age that if they did wear belts, it did them no good or purpose because they liked it to hang down way below uh, the waist. And if they were actually had to run somewhere, they had to hold on to their pants why have a belt if you have to hold on to your pants? That's the whole purpose of it. But you get a notch in your belt, and you kind of know your size, right? It's notched in. This is what fits me. This is a notch in the Greek. It's a, a mark in a belt, we might say. that A clear mark or a distinction. As far as faith is concerned, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Jesus is the same Lord over everyone who believes. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. Verse 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This actually comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Joel. Verse 2, verse 2 Chapter 2, verse 32 in Joel says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, 
There shall be deliverance, as the Lord said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This great promise from God has been extended to anyone, to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And the question remains, have you confessed and believed in Jesus? For those who have done this, there is no shame for those who confess and believe in Jesus. Today we've looked at the Romans' road to salvation. And do you know that many have attempted to travel this road by their good works, by church membership, by some baptism in the past? And as I said earlier, doing good works, being a member of the church, having been baptized, these are all good things. But they cannot bring anyone into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It only comes by way of faith in Jesus that we are justified and saved. We think about today's message, mile marker one, two, three. For many of us, we have traveled the highways and we get accustomed to looking at the mile markers. It helps us to determine our trip, our travel plans, knowing where we're going to exit to get food or to lodge overnight or to finally arrive to our destination. I don't know if you've ever been broken down by one of these mile markers on a highway. I have. And I was thinking about that with our message today, and I believe there are those that are in life, sometimes they're broken down by one of these mile markers. Mile marker one. Be not ashamed. As believers, we are to unashamedly share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And yet for some believers, they are ashamed to share their faith with others. They're a bit broken down by a mile marker number one. Mile marker number two, all have sinned. It's because of sin, everyone falls short of the glory of God. But we have people in our world today that they disagree with this. They believe that they're good people and that they are without sin. If so, then they are actually broken down by mile marker number two. Mile marker number three, the wages of sin and the gift of God. It tells us that there are only two paths in this life. The wages unto death or the gift of God unto salvation. And there are those in this world today that believe that there are more than two paths and that there are actually many roads that lead to heaven. If this is the case, then that person's life is broken down by mile marker number three. Mile marker number four, the demonstration of God. The greatest demonstration of God's love is Jesus' work upon the cross. And again, we have people who are broken down by mile marker number four, thinking that, you know, there has to be another way, another road, that Jesus' death on the cross can't be the only way, and if they believe that there is any other way, if they see any other demonstration of God, then they're broken down by mile marker number four. Mile marker number five, our declaration unto salvation, that confession without belief, we have learned that it's merely words without power. 
But also belief without having confession. It's like having faith without a living testimony that God can change lives. And so the two necessary elements of our salvation is that of confession and belief. And for those who have confessed but haven't truly believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, then in actuality their lives, it's broken down there by mile marker number five. But if you made it to mile marker number six, if you made it all the way to the promise of God, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then we discover that this great promise has been extended to whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, that there is no shame for those who confess and believe in Jesus. And if you have successfully traveled through all six mile markers, well, you have reached your destination, at least this portion of the destination here on earth. Don't get me wrong, I'm still looking for a little more. I'm looking for a time when I'll see the Lord face to face in heaven. But as far as my salvation is concerned, I've arrived and that I have been saved. And I pray that's the case for you as well. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.